I want to be emotionally open to the space. I just want to experience it. And I experience the space and I'm trying to register how I'm reacting to it as I go through. Like, how do I react to the space as I go through? What are my, what's my emotional state? And all of that is something I'm going to try and then build back into a photograph so that somebody else, like if I show it, if I send it to you and say, Hey Graham, check out what I shot today. I want you to have that same response. Scott Hargis there giving an insight into his work as one of America's finest architecture and interior photographers. Much more to come from Scott in a wee minute. Hello and welcome back to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast, where we go beyond shutter speeds and f-stops with some of the best photographers in the world. I'm your host, Graham Dargie. I'm a professional photographer based in the Granite City, Aberdeen in Scotland. Wherever you are in the world, thanks so much for spending this time with me today. Well, it's been a wee while since the last episode, so the question is, where have I been? Uh, Well, in the summer I was working shorter hours due to looking after my little girl in the school holidays and one thing about making a podcast is it takes ages to do, so there just wasn't time. Uh, Since school started up a few weeks ago, I've had a bit more time and I've been using that time to adapt and reposition my photography business for the new world we're all living in. That's taken all the time I've had and it's only in these last few days I've finally had a chance to dive back into the podcast and finish off season three. So here we are for the next three weeks to round out what's been a brilliant season for the show. Uh, As I mentioned, I've been working on my business. Um, I don't want to take up time on the podcast to talk about that. But if you do want to see what I've been up to, you can connect with me on Instagram at Graham Dargie. You can also check out the Viewfinders website, viewfinderslive.com where you can catch up some of my growing library of previous episodes with photography legends like Gregory Heisler, Howard Schatz, Jim Richardson and many, many more inspirational photographers from all over the world. I wanted to quickly mention that I'm working on the next Viewfinders Live online event. I've just been trying to pin down a date for that that works for the guest who's a busy working photographer. So hopefully... Uh, I can confirm that in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. Time to give a shout out to our sponsor, MPB. MPB is the world's largest online platform for buying, selling and trading used camera gear. If you've got something in your camera bag you don't use anymore, then trade it to MPB. MPB makes it easy to trade your unwanted equipment for something you will use. MPB trades thousands of items every week and everything you buy comes with a six month warranty. I have personally used MPB on a number of occasions and their service has always been first rate. There's a link in the show notes where you can get a valuation for your kit. So a big thank you to the fine people at MPB. Right, here we go. This week's guest is amazing architecture and interior photographer Scott Hargis. Scott is based in Oakland, California and is one of the best architecture and interior photographers in America. After being burned out in a corporate job, Scott took up photography in his mid-30s, eventually niching to real estate photography before specialising in architecture and interiors. Our conversation covers how Scott creates photographs that feel the way a room feels, as well as really digging into some of the nuances of how he works, like the importance of including a human element, visual acoustics, and why he always carries a makeup mirror. 
For me, as a working photographer, I loved this conversation and hearing how Scott combines his impressive technical skill with that ability to communicate emotionally through his photography was truly inspiring to me. I hope you enjoy this. There's loads of takeaways in this episode. Here's my conversation with Scott Hargis. Scott Hargis, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. So um, I'm looking forward to this chat because um, you first came on my radar, I'm going to say about 10 years ago, uh, and I got your ebook on shooting interiors. And as I, the way I remember it was, it was about using speed lights and hiding them around the mm-hmm. interiors, and uh, which is right up my street. I love speed lights. I love tinkering with things like that. Um, but I think, you know, architecture, interior photography, it's one of those things that doesn't sound that interesting if you just said that maybe I don't know how you're received but if I if I just say the name architecture and interior photography I think if you didn't know the business you might think that sounded quite boring but when you get into it it's so specialized and so meticulous and so tricky and I thought I'm really looking forward to unpacking some of that with you so um, before we get to it I noticed that you're based in Oakland in California Um, did you grow up there or is that where you've always been? No, no. I've I've lived here longer, quite a bit longer than than I've lived anywhere else. So this is this is definitely home. But I lived in a in a number of places around the South and the Midwest of the United States. But I got here <laughs> in '99. Uh, um, so this is home, right over the bridge from San Francisco. Right. Yeah. I, I looked it up on the map. I don't know U.S. geography that well. And yeah, all, all of those towns around the bay, is it, does it sort of become one place in a way or are they feeling like separate places? Well, they've all got their own flavor, but it's all the, the Bay Area. So we just refer to the Bay Area okay. and, then, and then the city. And the city is San Francisco, you know. I see. Okay. Looking at the map, I don't know if this means anything to you when I say Alameda, nuclear vessels. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm a big Star Trek fan. So that's the, that's only my only sort of um in into the bay area and alameda is from star trek 4 um when the russian oh character... okay that i didn't get i didn't get the, the star trek reference i'm a star trek fan actually but um yeah alameda is a is a uh is now abandoned or not yeah the, the, it was a naval weapons station mm-hmm. so it was a full-on naval air an air base um and, and now it's got all sorts of really cool stuff out there that they're building on what used to be this airbase and the aircraft hangars and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there is it a sort of an up and coming new area now? Mm-hmm, right. It's actually a little tech hub, you know. And and of course the whole the whole Bay Area, you know, is a giant tech hub. But but mm-hmm. um, that particular spot, uh, there's a lot of startups in there. Okay. And so okay. So when did photography? come into your life do you remember your first you know the first time that photography made an impression on you or the first time you picked up a camera sure i mean well not maybe not exactly but um yeah like (laughs) i feel like every photographer that i admire has the same thing and i got my first camera when i was nine and by the time i was 12 i knew i wanted to be a photographer and then i was on the high school yearbook and then i interned for somebody famous and then everything you know god that is that is not me at all um, I think literally my first camera I bought probably in my mid twenties to take vacation photos with, um, didn't really do anything with it. I was an avid consumer of photography for sure. You know, I would inhale national geographic magazine every month when it arrived, that kind of thing. But, um, but no, I was in my mid thirties. 
uh, when I be, uh, became a photographer. And um, I had been in a corporate job for like 15 years, mm-hmm. really burned out. But I didn't know what to do. There was nothing I really wanted to do. That's the thing that I was asking. He was like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I had nothing. I wanted to go backpacking. Um, mm-hmm. So I saw a career counselor. And she was like doing part therapy and part part career counseling. Mm-hmm. And so in, in, along, along with a lot of talk, um, she had me do all these standardized tests, like a lot of them, which I hate. I hate standardized tests and they're expensive. And I don't remember the names of them, like the Higgs boson and the McCarthy something or other. And mm-hmm. you go to the bottom of these things. And eventually after a series of these things, they start to slot you out into careers that you're going to have an aptitude for. Right. So they'd be like, you should be a doctor. You should go into construction, whatever it is. And the two things that kept coming up over and over were archeology span and photography mm-hmm. among a lot of other chatter, but those two over and over. And I was pissed. I was just like, this has been a complete waste of time. You know, like, sure, archaeology is very interesting. I, I am fascinated with archaeology. But, you know, I flunked out of college, like literally mm-hmm. flunked. I didn't drop out. I was I was told to leave. <laughs> um, so archaeology, that's not going to happen. And in photography, I was like, sure. I mean, of course, that sounds fantastic. That would be That would be amazing. But it's just totally impractical. You can't do it. It's not possible. You just can't do that. And this woman, we had this moment that I'll never forget where I had kind of gone off on my rant about how it was impractical and not possible and not realistic. And she, there was this pregnant silence and we're making this like intense eye contact. And she just said, why not, Scott? And I'm like, oh, well, because you can't, I, you know, I, but I really couldn't, I didn't have an answer for that. So I had like two weeks off coming up and I disappeared into the, into the desert. I used to go to Death Valley like five times a year. And I got lost up in the canyons. I came out of the desert. You know, this is sounding really dramatic, but, and uh, my first day back at the job, I put in my, my notice to quit. Mm-hmm. My last day on the job, I printed out business cards because I worked at a copy shop. I used to work for Kinko's and I, uh, I printed out business cards, Scott Hargis photographer with my address on it. And that was that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and of course the reality was that, you know, like, when I said, oh, there's nothing that I really wanted to do, you know, and I couldn't figure out what to do with my life. The photography thing, especially when it came up, was way too exciting. Like, I was terrified. Okay. Absolutely terrified of that. Um, and, of course, it worked out mm-hmm. far better than I ever thought it would. Mm-hmm. So, But that was that was in my mid-30s, and that's I, – I, I did not own a camera when I did this. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got my – that 15th anniversary with the company, they gave me a little Fuji point-and-shoot camera like a three megapixel camera i've still got it over here on the shelf and i shot my first assignment with that thing okay wow yeah and so did you go straight for the architecture kind of work or what was your route from there oh no no i had no idea i i I, you got to realize like i had no idea about Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. um and so you know, I, I, I was very outdoorsy, you know, so I was, I was like, well, I'll be a shoe in for like outside magazine. They're going to call me right away. You mm-hmm. know, and I was pretty sure I was going to be hanging off the sides of helicopters and yeah. doing all sorts <laughs> of stuff. Right. And, and of course that, that didn't work out, but I did get the universe kind of steered me. I kept getting these jobs. You know, I, I really struggled right for the first two years. I really, really struggled. Um, but I would get, you know, every once in a while I would just get a job and it would give me just enough money to like keep going for another month. And they, most of those were just vaguely related to architecture in some some tangential way um 
and it just and it started steering me and I was, I was stringing for the newspaper and they were sending me out to like photograph hotels and stuff. Um, and I'd found like David hobby online around that time. Mm-hmm. So I had my little SB 24 flash, right. Cause that was the flash that David told everybody to buy. Cause it was cheap because mm-hmm. I had no money. Right. I couldn't afford, you know, radio triggers. There's no way I could afford it. So I had like a 50 foot sync cord made out of speaker wire and I would run that thing under the carpet and behind the sofa and into the other room so I could get my little flash out there. But I was going down, um, like really going under. It was not going to make it. And I was literally Googling, quote, how to market myself as a photographer on Google. And the first hit that came up with this was this guy's blog in Salem, Oregon, um, Larry Lorman. He, he later became a friend of mine. But, and he was writing this whole blog about real estate photography and how to quit your job. And, and he, he really pulled the lid off of the whole thing of like how to do it. Like there's endless stuff on online to teach you how to take photos, right? Like settings and how to do glamour lighting and all this stuff. But nobody will talk to you about how do you invoice? How much do you charge? What do you charge for exactly? All that stuff. And Larry was going to pull the lid off of everything. And I was like, real estate, that's easy. I can do that, you know. Of course, it's not easy, but I did do well at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was like the first time when I was like, huh, like, A, I'm good at this. And B, I was actually making money for the first time. I was like, this is sustainable. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can do well with this. And I did do really well with it. Um, and at that point, there was just no more question, you know, mm-hmm. what I was going to do. So I stopped, stopped trying to do headshots. I stopped trying to do all that other stuff. And it was just straight up uh, interiors after that. So what year was that roughly? That'd be like 2006, 2007. Okay, okay. 2007, I think, was the first year where I like made money, like in any okay. meaningful way. Mm-hmm. What's it like? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, so that's how you got to that. I wanted to ask you just about sort of the ins and outs of what you do. Let me read this to you from your bio, okay? I create yeah. artistic photographs that communicate more than just basic information about a room or structure. My compositions strive to reveal the intent of the designer interpreting their work into a two-dimensional image that accurately conveys the feeling of being in the space itself. I thought this was really an interesting uh, sentence and I wanted to pick up on um, how you strive to reveal the intent of the designer. Um, Can you talk a little bit about working with a client how important it is to work with that as as a collaboration and just that process of sort of getting on board with a client. Yeah. Um, gosh, I haven't read my bio for a while, so that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Um, I'm going to use that. Uh, well, let's see. So you're asking me about, about like what I'm trying to do in my photography. That's good. And then, but then collaborating with clients on that. So there can actually be some disconnect right there, right? Because mm-hmm. the clients are not always as, as visually literate as we would hope that they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been really, I've been pretty smart about it, I think, in terms of, um, I've taken a very, very long view of my career. I always kind of play the long game, even now. So thinking in terms of where I want to be, you know, five and 10 years out. And really trying to stick to a game plan for that and not and not get too focused on short-term stuff. So what I'm trying to say is that I've built my career very, very slowly. Um, mm-hmm. 
And as a result, most of my clients are clients that I really want to work with that who kind of get what we're doing. You know, they're trying, mm -hmm. they're trying to get the same goal as I do. And, okay. and I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So the, the notion is that um, with interiors work and architecture, uh, we want to get away. I want to get away from just taking a photograph that shows what a building looks like or what a room looks like. It's, mm -hmm. it's, that's almost really secondary to me. Um, so a lot of people will just want to back into the corner with the camera, like rack a zoom lens out as wide as possible mm -hmm. and then say, okay, well, here's all the things in the room. Like this is the room. And yeah, you'll look at it and intellectually you're like, okay, I, yep, that's that room. I get it. And that's really easy for one thing. Um, and really boring. Uh, so what I'm trying to do is get a, is get a photograph that feels the way the room feels mm -hmm. that will tell you that will explain to a viewer who's never been there right who's never just for the first time they're just clicking on this on this picture uh or turning the page in a magazine who will understand how it feels to be there and the barometer for that because i don't i don't know how people are reacting to pictures out in the world but my clients when my clients recognize it on an emotional level then i know i've i've done it when they're like yeah, yeah that's what i designed Mm -hmm. Right. And not just saying, oh, I can see that that's the fireplace with the with the tile that I picked out. And I can see that that's the sofa with the fabric that I picked out. But when they were when they're like, this is this is what I this is what I was thinking when I designed it, then I've then I know I've nailed it. Mm -hmm. So that turns out to be quite a different thing. And there's a lot of of weird science that goes into that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people think that and it's really intuitive to think this, that the human eye is just works like a camera. And that we walk around the world and we're just recording whatever's in front of us, right? It comes in, you have a lens literally in your eye and kind of an aperture. Mm -hmm. Nothing, that's not how it works. As it turns out, it's way more complicated than that. And what's going on inside your brain when you look at a picture of, say, a chair so that, you're, so that your brain understands that it's a chair is not what a computer does, you know, and not what a camera does at all. And you don't have to understand the neuroscience of it. I certainly don't understand the neuroscience of it, but it's good to be aware that there's a whole other layer that you've got to work with in order to get a picture that works on that emotional level. Mm -hmm. And you can't just muscle through it and you can't kind of work it with, exclusively with your, with your intellect um, to get there. Mm -hmm. So you were saying that you, you work with clients who have the same kind of end goal as you. I think that would be really important. Um, because I, th I think, Mostly. yeah, as, and as you've described there, like, I think some people, some clients might want you to just stand back in the corner and do the wide lens thing and get sure. everything. Yeah. So getting those clients out that are of the same kind of mind that it's not just about showing everything. It's not just about showing the entire space. Um, right. So getting on board with like-minded kind of clients must make it a little bit easier. Yeah, I suppose I'm getting towards about working with, with clients because we, yeah. communication is super important. Do you How much time do you spend at the front end with clients understanding what the brief really is and what they really, really want from you? Um, and what's that process kind of like? Um, less than you would want. It's even the clients that I say, oh, this is a great client who kind of gets it. Um, not everybody can can talk about it, you know, uh, in, in, in that good of a terms. And even the people who are like, Oh, I just want you to go wide. That isn't the end result. Isn't necessarily what they really want. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to say it and they don't know how they can't, they don't have that. 
as as photographers, we're walking around, and I don't know about you, but I'm I see still photographs everywhere I go. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking down at my desktop right now, and I'm just like, this is such a cool little still life right here. I've got like the keyboard and the mouse and my coffee cup and like the shadows and like, bam, photograph. Mm-hmm. And I could spend the afternoon with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people don't do that, right? That's, that's weird. <laughs> so I have these fully formed images in my mind, even from somebody just describing their project to me over the phone. I'm already seeing pictures. Mm-hmm. And if God, once I get there, you know, I'm just like flooded. Well, they don't do that. So they don't have any way to express what it is they're trying to accomplish, except in their minds, like, well, I just want it all. Like I want, again, they want to recognize it in, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And in their minds, that means I need to like have the whole entirety of the experience mm-hmm. in this picture, which must mean a super wide lens, you know, and all the things, just a catalog of all the things in the room. Here they are, must be a good picture. So you have to, first of all, you have to just sort of hear what they're saying and then interpret it the same way that you're going to see what's, what's in the space and then interpret it into Mm -hmm. a photograph um and again just understanding some of the science and and thinking through what's going to happen can really help you out um walking into a space with binocular vision and experiencing it in three dimensions and the ability to like literally walk around and swivel your head is so different from a two-dimensional eight by ten or even a screen which doesn't feel your field of view we're experiencing it in a completely different way. And so you've got to translate it right mm-hmm. through everything that you do as a photographer, all the decisions that you make, you're translating this experience into, into this photograph. So no client is, has thought this through in as much depth as, as we have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the ones that have worked with a variety of photographers know what's going to happen at the end. So they're, they're on board with what's going to, what's, what, what's going to come out at the other end of it for sure. But, they haven't thought through all those steps Mm -hmm. in order to get to the point where you're working collaboratively with somebody on that level, you know, like number one, like I am very, very careful. I curate what goes into my social media, like all of my forward facing things, my website, what I'm going to show clients is really carefully curated to only be the things that I want to shoot. Like I was shooting real estate, right. For so long, four houses every day, you know, delivering 60 to 80 pictures every single day. And all of them were mm-hmm. crap, right? Um, lucrative crap, <laughs> but, but crap. Uh, but as I knew where I wanted to go with my photography, I started only ever presenting those lucky few shots that I was able to get that seemed to represent like, this is what I really want to spend all my time doing. Mm-hmm. And so when new customers came to me, presumably it was because they had responded to that, right? Mm-hmm. And not to the stuff that the other guy had on his website. And that's a really mm-hmm. important point. Like you only ever want to show people what you want to be doing next year because mm-hmm. you're not going to get that gig unless you can show it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the conversation, um, you know, really you just have to, a new client that you haven't worked with before, you kind of have to manage the experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you, especially with the first shot of the day, you know, you, you're, you're steering them in a direction. You, you, you want to be in control of the set and say, and, and don't, gosh, I'm just getting flooded with all these ideas now. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I can't get them out in order. You know, it's, um, it's good to be assertive, I guess is, is the bottom line. Mm-hmm like out on set with a client um, rather than saying, okay, so Mr. Client, what do you want? Like, mm-hmm. I'm here to serve you and I'll do anything you want. Like, do you want me to shoot it over here? Cause I can shoot it over here. But if you want me to do it over here, well, I could do it. No, 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 no. 
you need to be in the driver's seat. I walk in and I'm looking around and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, nice, good. You know, it's good that you called me. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're starting over here. We're going to do this shot. I describe it. You know, I'm sussing out my client and I'll describe it in as much detail as I think they can handle. And I'm going to pick an early shot that is going to be a quick winner, mm-hmm. right? So that I can get something up on the laptop really quickly that's going to be a showstopper. And at that point, they're going to be on board, yeah. right? Or at least they're going to start coming on board. Yeah. Um, and away we go. The really good clients, the first the first time I shoot with anybody, it's always really kind of difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And then as you go along, you have a relationship, you have a shared history. Um, everything doesn't come down to that first photo anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you have a shared aesthetic for what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's still just a struggle. These people, they just don't spend all day, every day thinking about this stuff like mm-hmm. we do. And so you know, yesterday on location, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to establish a composition for the photograph and my client is diving straight into where the pillow should go. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wait, you know, can we, can we decide like where the camera is going to go first? Yeah. Um, and that's a constant struggle. Yeah. So you're working with, in that case, that's an interior designer, I'm guessing right. and architects as well. So they'll be right with you. That's sort of a mixed blessing, isn't it? The interior designers will be right there with you. And, and most of them will, will be trying to do their own styling. And some of them are pretty good at that. And mm-hmm. some are not, which is really weird to me um, that they might not be so skilled at styling things. Mm-hmm. Architects are almost never on site with you. Right. Um, maybe for the interiors, probably not. I try to do a walkthrough, um, you know, with either the, the lead architect or somebody who's intimately, dis, you know, familiar with the design because architects are a whole other beast. They are way more visually literate than really anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, they can see things in my pictures that I didn't see. That's always really exciting. Um, and really break it, break out, a fo- break apart a photograph um, in ways that are, that are just really enlightening. Um but the architectural photography takes so long and especially exteriors, you know, you're just spending days sometimes wandering the streets, waiting for things to happen mm-hmm. um, and finding that spot. So really the architect, it's, it comes down to a good walkthrough. If you can get it great and you'll learn a lot about the building, right? Like I can intuit at this point a lot about a building, mm-hmm. but still there are things that they can point out to me. I'm like, Oh, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. I can see now how this facade and that facade are out of plane. And so there's a whole angular effect that's going on that I might never have noticed until after I was done shooting right. and it's too late. Architects are, are really terrific in that sense to work for just mm-hmm. as a group. One of the projects I wanted to ask you about was, is it 181 F- Fremont? Fremont? Right. Perf- that's the building I was just thinking of as I was speaking. Okay, and so that's it. Looks from looking at your uh, work and your feed, you've done a lot of work in that building. So can I can I tell you a story about that building? Is actually this is actually kind of cool, especially from like a career standpoint. Like we started out talking about that. That building is is an is an iconic building in San Francisco. It's mm-hmm. and it's and it's quite spectacular. And when it was being built, uh, I was still kind of slogging through my four house a day real estate phase of my career. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and some of those were in San Francisco. When you go to San Francisco from Oakland, you go over the Bay bridge and you get off right downtown and you drive right past that building. And I would look up at that thing from through the windshield as on my way, I'm on my way out to the residential part of town. And I'd look up at that thing. and I'd like, man, that's, 
like for me, that was like, that's where I'm going in five years. Remember, I was always thinking like, what am I going to be doing next year and three years? And I was like, that is where I'm going to be shooting. And, and it's too late for this one, right? Like this thing's almost done. Okay. I'm not that guy yet. Like, I don't know how to photograph this building. You know, I understand that, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to get this figured out and I'm going to do it. Well, so I did. Um, I self-assigned, right, some tall buildings to try to figure out how to shoot them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could make the story a lot longer because there's some great stuff that came out of that as well. But uh, fast forward years later, and I get a uh, I get an email from the marketing director of that architect, that firm that did 181 Fremont. Mm-hmm. And they've got a thing out in the Central Valley, this college campus building I want to shoot, and they'd like to meet with me, et cetera. And okay, sure, yeah, absolutely, you know. And we do that. Well, as it turns out, they never photographed 181. Uh-huh. One of the principals of the firm, that's a firm called Heller Manus. And Heller is one of the principals. And he was a, he is a photography buff um, and did all the photography for the firm. And he's okay, you know, but he's not full time. So he's just, it's not going to be as good as somebody who just, you know, never does anything else. But, um, and he started having some health problems and, and they just didn't photograph it. So I ended up getting the assignment for that building after all, like five, six years after I was like, oh, well, I can't do that one, but I'm going to get ready for the next one. You know, no, I came Mm. around and I got it, which I just was like, how weird is that? How cool is that? It's like you kind of manifested it almost. It's that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. When I was I was going to ask then about the kind of brief for that kind of job, because it's it's kind of it's obviously I was thinking it's really difficult to shoot a building like that. We don't have a building that looks like that in in our town. Mm -hmm. We just don't have high rise buildings like that. Um, And then interior wise, it's pretty diverse as well. And you've got to do the kind of lobby, different spaces inside. So what I was wondering uh, uh, if you can talk about the kind of commission that that is and the the brief that you would be given for that and the sort of turnaround that would be expected from that kind of client. Right. Um, and you know, the truth is it's all over the board. So you can, there are clients who will just like literally be like, Hey, we got this building. Can you give us a quote? And I'm just like a quote for what, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? You know? Um, and then once you kind of get that worked out, they're like, great, send us what, you know, go do your thing. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the brief. Um, and then, so Heller Manus, you know, I always end up going in and sitting down with Jeffrey Heller, who's this irascible, like really charismatic old guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and they'll go through, they'll go, he, he'll go through like the basics, you know, like I've been working with them for a few years now and he still asks me every time. Now are you going to use, are you going to keep the vertical straight? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, Jeffrey, I'll, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> So we, you know, we'll go over like kind of the hero shots of the building. Um, but I always have to pick out the details. It's, it can be like pulling teeth a little bit to get mm-hmm. to the details because the hero shots, of these buildings, honestly, are pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get the commission, everybody already knows what the picture is going to look like. You're going to see the building, you know, there's only so many vantage points you can get mm-hmm. on these towers for one thing. And they've already figured those out. The people that do the renderings have already done them, uh, and they know there's going to be puffy white clouds in the sky, you know, and it's going to be at this certain time of day so that the sun is coming from this certain angle. And like everybody knows it, all you got to do is, ex- is execute it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a technical exercise at that point. And so there's some glory in those, but the hard stuff is, is getting in and getting the, getting the architecture, right. And expressing 
all of those little nuanced things. And that building has so many details and so much nuance in the skin mm-hmm. of the building. You, it's It was really, really challenging. And so that's what I'm trying to get. And I don't always know that that's the case going in, right? So I'm, I'm talking about a building that's that's relatively new to me sometimes. And I've looked at the renderings. You know, I'm going to prepare it before I go into the meeting, but I really don't understand the building. And so I don't always know what to ask. So I'm trying to explain again a little bit about that process, like we just talked about saying, well, look, I mean, these pictures are not just about what it looks like. I'm trying to like express all the things that you did, all those cool little things that you did, like, let's get them into the pictures. So you need to tell me what is going on with this building. And then if you're lucky, um, then you will get them to open up about what mm-hmm. it was they were doing. There were there were elements of that of 181 that I did not understand well into the process of shooting it. Um, that I only found out from the marketing director. We were looking at the at the model. You know, they always build models of these buildings, and they had built a special wind model that was designed to go into a wind tunnel. So they they really study you know what's going to happen on these things, and the wind model had a detail that none of the other models and none of the drawings and none of the renderings showed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was just like this light going. I was like, oh, my God, I get it. And that's why I've been having so much trouble with this one aspect of the building, you know, because I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, right. So you really have to press sometimes to find out, even with a client like that who wants you to come in to talk about it. They don't mm-hmm. always know what it is that you need to hear. Yeah. So you just kind of do your best and just do an interview. Yeah, I can imagine they just know it inside out and they might assume some yeah. knowledge, you know. And that building was tough because it was a five-year-old building it's way well it's 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 some of both but when the building's that old none of the stakeholders care anymore about the photography when the buildings are new everybody the tenants the builders the developer everybody's like yeah absolutely we got to photograph this thing this is the hot new thing now that that also means there's still some residual construction going on the streetscape looks like hell usually if they've done any kind of landscaping it's like Mm -hmm. little skinny saplings with no leaves on them like there's all those problems right yeah but at least you have access and everybody's kind of excited to have you there and do it. Five years down the road, you're just a pain in the ass. Yeah. Like everybody's moved on. And so that was the case. A, this was a five-year-old building and B, we were in the middle of a pandemic. So um, you look at my pictures in the lobby, there's nobody in there because right. like literally there was nobody in there and you couldn't bring people in. I couldn't get say, hey, like, you know, let's bring some, let's bring some interns and, and some friends and whatever. No, no, no. Absolutely not. So we had yeah. to shoot it empty, and that's 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 really challenging. It makes the space look a little uh, a little stark, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for a building like that, once you've once you've kind of established, um, like, what are you looking to get out of this? You know, I'll ask my client, like, at the end of this thing, like, what do you want? Do you want twenty pictures of this building? You want to get eight pictures of this building? You know, like, what what's the goal? What are you going to do with the pictures? Which is kind of always the same thing: website, contests, you know, social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll go out to execute that. And and that can just really mean days of wandering the streets. Um, and you got to get pretty far away from these towers, you know, to, to get them rendered in a, in a pleasing way. And so you're just trying to figure out rooftops that you can get up onto and you're talking your way up onto rooftops and balconies, which is right. its own skill set. Um, yeah. And hanging out on the sidewalk in a, in a dodgy neighborhood, waiting mm-hmm. for light and waiting for the dump truck to move and waiting for a for somebody who doesn't look like, you know, a bum to walk past the front door yeah. and all these things to us. And, and you assemble a collection of pictures. And if, and if my client says, yeah, you know, we usually try to come away with like a dozen photos, say five or six exteriors, three details in the lobby. 
you know, then I'm going to try and present them, say, with 15 to 20, you know, library. Mm-hmm. Um, interiors are going to be way more closely targeted. Exteriors, I can I can usually bang out a little faster. Um, and then uh, we go from there. Yeah. I mean, what you've described, it's days, weeks of work. I mean, it's it's not like you can do that at half past three on Wednesday, right? So it can be days and weeks of work, but you don't always have that luxury, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not going to shoot something in a distant city over the course of days or weeks. Okay. Um, there's not usually a really hard deadline either. So you may go back. Like I've done that in, in cities where I, where I go regularly and I'll go back and shoot um, over the course of weeks. But it's, it's, it's a half of a day here and two hours there and a, and a day you know, mm-hmm. somewhere else. So there's, you know, you can do a lot of virtual scouting in advance to know what you're going to do, but it is harder that way. Like you're, you're going to have to rely on luck. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's a local to me, then I can, I can wait for that absolute perfect weather day, you know, to Mm -hmm. do something. Just when you were talking about the building there and you were saying shooting it without people in it was quite challenging. And um, something I noticed uh, with your work, there's always like a human element or often a human yeah. element in the picture. So if it's an exterior, there'll be, well, the lobby shot that I'm looking at here of 181, there's, there's nobody inside, but there's somebody walking past out through the window, um, right. which you must have just probably waited for ages and ages for that person <laughs> to be right there. Um, how important do you think it is um, to add that kind of human element to this kind of uh, photography? It's Well, I think it's very important. And that's not, that hasn't always been a given. I mean, I think nowadays you really, they want a lot of people. Um, generally, clients want a lot of people in the pictures, right. more than I want, really. But that has not always historically been the case. Mm-hmm. And there are still, I know some photographers, some old timers who are just like, people are an abomination, you know, <laughs> in, a, in an architecture. It's only the architecture. That is the thing. But architecture is for people. It's designed for people. Which, again, has been a controversial statement, um, even with with architects, historically. Mm -hmm. But the current uh, aesthetic is definitely to put somebody in. And generally, blurry is good. I mean, first of all, there's privacy issues, so Mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about model releases, et cetera, if it's a blurry enough person. And secondly, because especially if somebody's up close to the camera, when you put a human face in, um, the eye just goes straight to the face. Like, Mm -hmm. we just do that as humans. And I don't want that, right? I'm trying to I'm trying to get you to look at the architecture. Yeah. So we're placing them pretty carefully um, in the scene. They're there to provide scale as well. Um, a lot of architectural work, and this is the stuff I really love. It gets kind of abstract. Um, you're just playing with the lines and the shapes and the textures um, in ways that are related to the building, but aren't immediately to the layperson like recognizable as being that building, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and so it's very useful to insert just a little, a, a little figure or mm-hmm. a big figure, whatever it is, um, to, to give a sense of scale of the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go to interiors because, um, I think with a building like this, just to stay on the project so we can have mm-hmm. a, a yeah. you know, a solid thing to go back to with, with the interiors, what are some of the challenges that you really have photographing the interiors? Okay. Yeah. Well, so again, thinking about translating a real life experience into this flat, small, relatively small photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with, um, and, and I, you know, I always tell new photographers, like if you want to learn photography, like go get a, a membership at the art museum and, and start studying the, 
the 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 low country realists um get your vermeer going on your rembrandt going on because those guys understood light Mm -hmm. and how to translate three-dimensional things into a flat painting Mm -hmm. right um so chiaroscuro right light and shadow Mm -hmm. which they really mastered and, and kind of pioneered at least within western art um is what we're trying to do and it's also what you do when you're doing tabletop photography and product photography right so when you're trying to when you're trying to shoot uh, uh, you know, packaging for a, for a, for a makeup company or something. Um, you're going to light it in a way that, that you've got a highlight and a shadow and a midtone so that every object in the, in the, in the photograph really pops out as three dimensional because the brain will figure it out intellectually. You're going to look at a picture, whether it's a, of a product or, or a room, and you're going to see the lines. You're going to like, okay, I understand this is a living room and therefore it's got depth and all the rest of it. But you don't want to rely on that. You want it to happen here. And I'm, I'm, I'm indicating my gut mm-hmm. here. Um, so we're doing that kind of product photography, uh, the same techniques writ large onto a, a big room mm-hmm. um, so that we don't have light streaming in from behind the camera, flattening everything out, right? You want the, your key light to be coming in at like 90 degrees or even more um, to the axis of the lens. And that's going to produce a highlight on the far side of everything and a mid-tone on the side and a shadow on the front. Mm-hmm. And it's really going to suddenly everything has this texture. The fabrics get all this texture. The chair pops out in all of its all of its detailed glory. Um, and, the, and you can layer up your photograph in ways that get really interesting. And you can start playing with color the same way. You know, things get blue as they get farther. Like the horizon is blue. We talk about the blue mountains in the distance, right? Mm-hmm. In nature, that's kind of what we expect to have happen. And they get brighter as they get farther away from us. So we can work that into the photographs as well. And I'll do this. It's really subtle. It's really fun to do. And nobody notices it but me <laughs> intellectually. But they do respond to it emotionally. I mean, it's just, the, oh, those Harguses, those photos are really good. And they don't know why, but it's because of some of these teensy weensy little things that we're doing. So I'll, I'll introduce mm-hmm. bluer, cooler light in the, in the backgrounds of my photographs, mm-hmm. right? And warmer tones in the foregrounds, which we just, you know, we can do this with gels on our flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, you could try to do it in post. I don't do that much Photoshop to my pictures, but, um, and it all goes towards cueing the brain on an instinctive level to what's going on in the picture. Mm-hmm. So coming back to your, you know, okay, you got a big room with lots of windows and there's sunlight. What do you do? Number one, you're going to wait until the sun is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like think about it. If you were doing it as a model, where would you put your light? And then can you have, can you wait for a time when the sun will be there? Um, I do a ton of subtractive lighting, which means I carry yards and yards and yards of black cloth mm-hmm. and a clamps Right. And, and yesterday, for example, I'm shooting in a, in a, in a mid-rise building, rows of windows and many of them not where I want them. I mean, not that the window, you know, the light is coming from places that I don't want it. Yeah. And so we hung up, you know, 30 feet of black cloth and blocked out all the windows down one side. And your client's like, what, what, what are you doing? You know, yeah. and you just have to be like, trust me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and but when you have the light coming exclusively from the direction that you want, you know, then you've got it. And it doesn't really matter to me if that ever happens in nature, right? Like the sun mm-hmm. is going to be over in the south part of the sky. But if I'm shooting and I've got a north facing window, um, I want most of the light coming through that window. And I will block off all the natural light so that it's all coming down to this one window, which you may never really experience when you're in there. 
but it does render the photograph in a way that really works. Mm -hmm. So subtractive lighting, I mean, that's like so easy. You can throw that cloth up in 10 minutes and it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of like, you know, three cases of strobe equipment and, and two mm -hmm. hours of, of uh, pain, you know, um, then within that, um, we start accenting with light, but I'm not trying to just like overpower the ambient, mm -hmm. uh, and replace it completely with my own lights. Right. Um, so much as just blocking out the ambient that I don't want. And very often that's all you got to do. Right. And then mm -hmm. just pop in a little bit of here, a little bit there, throw a highlight someplace um, where you want it, and you're done. Okay. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about it that way. Um, and so to go back to what I mentioned at the beginning, you're still are you you're still throwing a speed light in here and there. Are you still working in that way? I don't work with speed lights anymore. I carry one. Um, I actually still have, no, I mean, I have all of them that I had back in the day. They're still in a bag over there <laughs> in my equipment room, but I carry one speed light with me, which is really useful to, you can really tuck those things into just the most insane locations and do little yeah. lighting jobs with them and they're battery powered and all that. Um, but everything else, I'm, it's, 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 um, it's all uh, pack and head systems now okay. because you do, you do need a lot of, a lot of juice. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to crank lights to through windows that have tinting on them, maybe. Um, and you're, and you're trying to get light thrown across a long distance. Um, and, mm -hmm. and grids are going to soak up all your light and you just, you need the, you need the, mm -hmm. you need the, the power. So but it's the same techniques. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. Like you could use speed lights and, and run your camera at ISO 400, right. And keep your aperture pretty wide yeah. and yeah, you could do it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It, it, this is what I was saying before. It can be really uh, intricate and meticulous. What's the longest we'd say you've spent shooting a room? Well, I've. <laughs> the, I mean, it's an outlier, right? But I mean, I've I've spent the day on one photo. Mm -hmm. um, typically, like a typical job, if you, if you look at my website and you look at the stuff that I'm that I'm presenting there, an hour to an hour and a half per photo. It's mm -hmm. about right. Mm -hmm. So I tell people like in a day, we, we define a day as a 10 hour day. Um, and there's a lunch in there, you know, but, uh, we'll produce eight to 10 photos mm -hmm. and we might, we, you know, we might go over that. It's possible. You could get, you could get 12 photos, you could get 15 photos. There's times when it's easy for sure. The light's working for you. You know, you're not trying to go super wide. Um, but eight to 10 interior photos is pretty much what I'm willing to sign up for going into a shoot mm -hmm. with a client. I'll guarantee you this. If we do more, yeah. great. You're going to pay for them. But uh, don't, if you tell me you want 12 pictures, that's a day and a half. Yeah. All right. Going in. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can see to a client eight to 10 might not sound like a lot, but me sitting here, I'm going, that's quite, you've got your, you're giving yourself plenty to do on that one day. Uh, with eight to ten pictures um, to really get to the yeah. standard that you're shooting, and it's, it's really impressive. Actually. Well, and I mean, some clients are like, "What?" You know, because they're used to getting twenty pictures in a day or thirty pictures. But, but then again, I also encounter people who are like, "Oh, well, we usually make five. <laughs> you know, mm, okay. um, so there, there are there are those out there that get that. And I mean, the product guys, like, if you do three pictures in a day, that's that's a good day. You know, yeah, even yeah. today. Do you enjoy the challenge of getting in there and just figuring it all out? Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, I love it. It's it's each photograph is a little puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's actually a big puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, again, like I just really like the the exercise of going in, experiencing the space. Sometimes I get to do walkthroughs ahead of time, 
Um, but I don't like to get too into the walkthrough. I more want to know like, well, how much light are we talking about? What are we going to be dealing with? But I don't try to get too detailed with those walkthroughs and I don't like to get locked into it, to an idea mm. too early on. Mm. I like to walk in and I'm trying, this gets really touchy feely, but I want to be emotionally open to the space. I just want to experience it. And I sometimes have to tell my clients, like, just shut up for a minute. I'm just going to walk around mm -hmm. and it's going to be creepy because I'm going to have this like weird blank expression on my face, but I, I just kind of need to do this for, for a while. And I experience the space and I'm trying to register how I'm reacting to it mm. as I go through. Like, how do I react to the space as I go through? What are my, what's my emotional state? And all of that is something I'm going to try and then build back into a photograph so that somebody else, like if I show it, if I send it to you and say, Hey Graham, check out what I shot today. I want you to have that same response, mm -hmm. the same response that I have. And it's really fun to try to figure out how to make that happen. And then once I know, okay, here's my composition. This is what I want to include in the picture. This is what I'm not going to include in the picture. Um, and I kind of have a, a, a pretty detailed sense of what it's going to look like making that happen. is just like this really fun exercise mm -hmm. of, well, if I block this light out with some black cloth, but this one, I'm not going to block it out completely. This one's going to, I'm going to let a little bit of light through. So now I'm going to maybe use a silk or maybe two layers of silk, right? I'm really cut it down. Then if I were to put a light over here, you know, and like cut it across the room at this angle, it would put highlights on these things and I could make the wine glasses really pop and all of that stuff. It's, it's super, super fun and gratifying mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. I love that kind of troubleshooting. Um, any kind of commercial photography is so just troubleshooting yeah. really. And, um, when you were describing your process being in the space, it really reminded me, I was talking to a landscape photographer at the beginning of this season called Paul Sanders. The line that really stuck with me from that episode was, he doesn't take photographs, he receives them. So he's a, he's a landscape guy. He gets in the location. And oh, he, interesting. And he just, like, he, like you've described, yeah. he, he just slows himself down. He listens to the, the wind. He just feels the location and he tries to make sure that that's what he communicates in the picture really lines up with exactly what you said. But um, I think landscape photography, people can, it can be emotive. We don't think that way. I don't think about, well, the layperson may not think that way about architecture, interior photography, but you're obviously, you obviously do. Um, and I think it really, really comes across in your pictures. Um, it's just, it's working so well. No, thank you. I think that's a really great description. You know, saying receiving it because that's that that would be a great way to put it. Like what I'm trying to do, and I when I walk in and and do my experience of the space is to receive it, you know, mm -hmm. fully, um, and then again express it back out, right? Yeah, in a way that makes sense to people. We have to talk um, about camera gear now. So this is the gear round, and that's sponsored by MPB. So I'm going to ask you. Um, typically what comes out of the camera bag? Okay. What kind of camera and lens combination is just your sort of go-to? Okay. Well, the workhorse is a Canon. Um, so I'm this kind of weird photographer that actually doesn't love cameras. Um, it's a five D something, something, and it, I, I don't know. It's over there. It's got numbers on it. Um, it's a five D it's in the five D series. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's one of the newer ones. I don't know. It's really good. Um, I just, yeah. The lenses, I love lenses. So the lenses, all of my lenses, uh, I mean, I do own some non-shift lenses, but architecture and interiors, you, you really have to have lens movements, right? So mm -hmm. this is what your technical cameras used to do. I know you know this, Graham, but maybe for listeners, um, 
you remember the old guy with the camera with the bellows and the and the sheet over his head mm-hmm. um and it's really easy to do on the old four by fives uh and now we work with these with a 35 millimeter and so we're emulating that with a shift lens mm-hmm. and so i've got a 24 and that's really the workhorse um that's this kind of a sweet spot for for interiors mm-hmm. and architecture longer is typically better um i have a 17 which is a very flagrantly wide angle lens mm-hmm. um i've got a 50 and i've got a 90 um and then if i have to get outside of that i still do take a four by five out in the field with me every once in a while when oh, i've got uh, the luxury of time um and it's it's really wonderful to work with that mm-hmm. for sure yeah um i was i was just thinking the 24 might be a little tight uh, for interiors but obviously we said you're not shooting that super wide kind of look anyway so I can see that being the. I mean, I have, I certainly have broken out a seventeen with interiors. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you do it, but um, they don't generally end up being like the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, Not for your style. In I, general, I you want to back up and go with the longest focal length you can, mm-hmm. right? And be as far away. So many pictures, like when you're shooting a bedroom, that kind of thing, bathroom, the camera is physically way outside of the room, mm-hmm. and the, it's the door frame is defining the left and the edge the left and the right edge of the picture, whether they're included in the picture or not. Like if you were to shift the lens or pan the camera, just a millimeter one way or the other, like that's the door frame is right yeah. there. You're as far away as you can get with the longest focal length you can get away with mm-hmm. in general, that's going to real much better results than pushing way inside and throwing this like 12 millimeter thing on the lens yeah. and, uh, and capturing technically the same field of view, but um, much worse results. Yeah, it just looks horrible. If you you yeah. must be, I spoke to um, Gregory Heiser about this as well. You must be an expert at kicking the tripod as well. How frustrating can that be sometimes? Because <laughs> you get in those it's really tight spots. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a tight spot, and of course, the camera is like in the doorway of the room, but the stylist has to be able to get in and out of there with a giant thing of flowers or you know whatever. Yeah. So yeah, we put sandbags down and. Um, there can be a point I, I try to do this as little as possible, but we do it um, where we're compositing pictures together right out of, out of multiple frames. Mm-hmm. Once we're getting into that, you know, I will like announce like, okay, <laughs> the camera is locked down mm-hmm. um, and I'll guard it or my assistant will guard it <laughs> and we'll put red sandbags on the legs and just, uh, yeah, yeah, it's critical. Yeah. It's um, critical. I, I mean, I, I, I would shoot, Either way, I don't have any problem with doing multiples, and, and it, but I totally admire you for trying to keep it in one shot as much as you can. It's it's just a really nice way to do it. Well, you know what? You want to know why you do that? Is I mean, there's two reasons. One is I have a little bit of ADD. Well, I shouldn't say I have ADD because that's a slap to the people who actually do. But I don't sit still very well, mm-hmm. so I can't sit in front of a computer that long and mm-hmm. work on stuff. And I also just really, really dislike it. There's just nothing about that that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into this business because I liked working with lenses and light yeah. and being in the field, solving those puzzles. So to, it's just, that's what's satisfying to me. But mm-hmm. the other thing is when you spend an hour, two hours with a photograph, you start to notice all the things, mm-hmm. all the elements of it. You really understand it in ways that you just can't, if you're just going to be there for like 10 minutes you know, find the composition, shoot a bracket, say I'm done. Mm-hmm. You're going to be out of there long before you see all the little things, the way the chair intersects with the edge of the table, the way the, the candlestick lines up with the mullions of the windows behind it, right? 
breaking down the composition. How does this composition work? Is this laid out on a leading line with a with a rule of thirds thing, or is this on a is this on a Fibonacci spiral, which is what I compose on a Fibonacci spiral all the time? Mm. I do it intuitively at this point; it just happens. But you start to see all of these things when you're with the picture that long. And what happens is you you realize like oh the the salt and the salt and pepper shakers will look so much better if I shift them just a little over to the right, and then if I do the thing with the candle on the dining room table, you know, if I move that over to the left, and then pretty soon it's like whoa I've got a bling on the wine glass, and your eye is going to go there, and then it's going to follow this line that's caused by the other things, and then you're going to end up over here, and the pillow has to be adjusted just right, all these things, and nobody at the end is going to look at this picture. And be like, wow, that's just an incredible picture because the salt and pepper shakers were, you know, in this spot. Mm -hmm. They don't register that. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you get like 20 of these things resolved, the whole photograph relaxes. Mm -hmm. The the whole thing just goes, ah, and it feels so good. It's like when you, if you play an instrument, I play the guitar and, and when you, you can get it tuned, like you have an electronic tuner maybe. And it's like, yeah, you're there, but you make that last little little tiny adjustment right on the d string and suddenly the instrument just sings like it's Mm -hmm. wow it's so different it's perfect Mm -hmm. you can do that in your picture um julius shulman you know which many would regard as like the father of of architectural photography um he called it visual acoustics there's a a documentary about him called visual acoustics he coined that phrase and what he meant was like all the elements in the photograph are in tune with each other Mm. the same way you would tune an instrument and when you can hit that the whole thing just ah it just works Mm -hmm. it just feels so good but you're not going to do that in five minutes yeah it just for me anyway it just takes me time to see all these things and how they're related to each other Mm -hmm. so working slowly is is a conscious decision right Mm -hmm. i want to be there for a while so that I can, Mm -hmm. as I'm working out all these other things at the same time that I'm like, okay, we're going to set a light over here with a half CTO and feather it slightly this way. And we're going to hang our black cloth over here. As that's all happening, I'm also keyed in on all these little, like, should the chair be angled this way or this way? Should it scoot in two inches? You know, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, And at the end of it, we've done, we've done big things and we've done a million little things that are that are have a cumulative effect sorry mm-hmm. i just went off on a rant there but it's it's, no, it's, it's actually a super important part of the process yeah it is it, you're so right i was just um looking at one of your photos here it's an interior it's a part of a kitchen and it's just a small shot of a corner of a kitchen and the mm-hmm. the up the the wall cabinet has the door kind of lifted up and there's some fruit on the counter a couple of the drawers are open at the bottom and i don't know, that oh, I know all, that shot. All, yeah all of that is deliberate obviously and uh, I think it was just when you were talking, I thought, well, that's it really makes sense. I mean, if you're in and out of there in five, ten minutes, it's when you get to the computer and you're like, oh, why did I do this or why didn't I do that? But you would never right. get to yeah. that kind of arrangement, the subtlety and the the nuance right. that you've got on your shots. You could never find that in 10, 15 to half yeah. an hour. Do you know? You just can't find it. This is this is true when we're doing architectural exteriors as well, by the way. I, I mean, there's so much going on in the street. And there's the mailbox and the street lamps and the and the newspaper vending machines and you know all this stuff out there on the street in front of you, you know, between you and your building. You never get that like amazing clean shot. You wouldn't really even want it, right? But but where how you align all those things up so that what is the telephone pole going to be occluding and what's it not going to occlude? Um, again, and how does this building like how do the how do the background buildings appear behind the building that is your subject? Like all that mm-hmm. stuff 
it just takes a lot of time and you look like an idiot, right? While you're trying to figure out the composition because you're walking back and forth on the sidewalk and you squat and you take a knee and you squint and you look up mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, uh, it's a weird thing to do. But um, in the end, you get this picture where things are lined up and, and it's inevitably a compromise, but things are lined up pretty well. And you're thinking ahead to like that telephone pole is going to get Photoshopped out. So mm-hmm. what do I want to have behind it so that it's not too hard? You know, like I don't want right. to have to rebuild yeah. some intricate thing and like figure out the font for the signage because I'm going to have to recreate the signage and all that. Like, so I'm going to have to like think ahead a couple of steps to, to what either I or my retoucher are going to do. So time spent time spent in the field is just worth everything. And I, I don't, there's so many photographers that seem to work really hard to limit how much time they spend with their cameras. Mm-hmm. And I just think, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> the world needs more retouchers. I think you wanted to be a retoucher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I get you. But I would, I would, if I have the choice, I'm going to be out in the field with the camera yeah, every time. Absolutely. Let me ask quickly um, if you're using any filters in your work. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so subtractive <laughs> lighting, again, you know. Um, so I use square filters. So this is where you have the frame. You know, you, you put the ring on the lens, and then there's a frame that clips onto mm-hmm. the ring, and then you can slide. You know, I've only got two slots on my filter, but I can put two two rectangular filters in. I use the graduated neutral densities mm-hmm. all, it's like, seriously, 80% of the time, there's a, there's a GND on the front of my lens. Oh, right. And it's subtractive lighting. So, you know, I'm trying to darken the foreground and let the background brighten up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can kind of do that in Photoshop, but why? You know, you can do it in the field. It's so easy. Yeah. But the other thing is, typical, typical interior situation, you have, a, say, a dining room. And there's a big window with a view. So you want that. That's going to be in your picture. And there's a chandelier right up in the ceiling. And if you stand there and look at the scene just with the naked eye, you'll start to realize like the upper half of the of the shot, like almost right down the middle, like right at the tabletop. Mm-hmm. The upper half is like two stops brighter. And everything below the top of the table is in deep shadow, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, it's the, it's the shadow of the table itself and the chairs and the plush velour and the dark red carpet and all this. It's like, oh, my God, it's all so dark. Mm-hmm. So you can try to light all that, but you drop a graduated neutral density down from the top right across your lens, knock two stops out of the top of the frame. Suddenly you can drag your shutter, two mm-hmm. stops, and the bottom looks great. You're done. Yeah. That's it. You don't have to light it. You don't have to do anything. It's done. Yeah. So smart. It's, it's, it's a very, 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 very powerful tool that hardly anybody uses. Mm-hmm. And look, even if you're, if you know you're going to be doing things later to your picture in, in, in digitally, a lot of times with the, with the, with the graduated neutral density filter, I can get, I can just get enough density in the sky, right? Even if I'm not resolving like crisp white clouds and, and, and all the color that I really, but I get enough of it that I can then have something to work on. So I'm not clipping the highlights. Then I can work on it later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just getting it to that point. Yeah, it's so smart. I never thought of that for an interior. I, I, oh, my God. I never would have thought of it. It is. Oh, okay, and the other one, we talked earlier about the big room with all the glass, mm-hmm. with all the glass windows. And a lot of times you're shooting laterally, like you're, you're, you've got the axis of the lens lined up down the length of these windows. And so the light's all streaming in from the left-hand side. Everything mm-hmm. over there is like really bright. But you know, the fall off is such that the right-hand side of the room is significantly darker. Mm-hmm. And so again, drag that thing across from the side, just as far as it needs to go. And you can just really even it right out. So I carry a three-stop uh, grad ND. Um, I rarely use it. The two-stop is really where it's at. And if I don't mm-hmm. need two stops, I'm probably just going to do it, you know, in in, uh, in Lightroom or Photoshop. Mm-hmm. 
but it's it's a, it's a terrific tool. And then the polarizing filter, um, which I use very sparingly, um, mm-hmm. it, it comes with quite a cost uh, yeah. generally, but it's got its it's got its place as well. Yeah, you just have. But to yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because filters are just like really integral to uh, to how I to how I work. Yeah, it's really really interesting. Actually, that's I've learned something amazing just there. So um, let me ask you if there's anything in your camera bag you just never use. You bought it; it was a good idea at the time, but it's never found the light of day. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I'm kind of coming up empty on that. Um, I travel so much that it's pretty. I'm pretty careful what comes with me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, the, the reason I ask is because it's to allow me to plug our sponsor, MPB. Um, most photographers do have something in their bag they're not using. Uh, so why not trade your unused gear to MPB for something you will use? MPB buys, sells and trades thousands of items each week and everything you buy comes with a six-month warranty. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can get a quote for selling your unused kit to MPB and I'll make a link to all the gear that Scott mentioned. So thanks again to MPB for sponsoring the show this is a round called uh, double exposure okay so i'm going to ask you about one particular picture which i'm interested in and then i'll throw it back to you to tell me about one picture moment or experience from your photography journey that really sticks with you um i was gonna ask you about your picture of the burj khalifa i think i'm saying it right um i don't know if that's khalifa in dubai yeah yeah i don't know if that's a work picture or not but i just thought it must be a I mean, how do you even get that in a picture? It must be tricky. I don't know if there's a story behind that one. Um, can you talk about that picture for a second? Sure. Yeah. Um, so that was a self-assigned picture. I did not get. I did not get the assignment to shoot the Burj. Um, so what you're talking about is the tallest building in the world. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 2,700 feet tall. I'm trying to think what that is in meters. Um, it's over half a mile tall. Mm-hmm. Um, almost 3k. So uh, I was in Dubai uh, on a teaching gig and I knew I wanted to shoot that building. You know, um, the picture you're looking at, you know, all those buildings that are down around the base of it, all those towers you see down, those are as tall as the tallest buildings in San Francisco. Right. And so when you, if you think about that, and that would be true of Dallas and LA and like, so a lot of your listeners, like think of where you live, unless you're in mm-hmm. Manhattan, um, and, and really even then uh, those buildings are, are what your city skyline looks like. And mm-hmm. then there's, then there's this tower that just is overwhelmingly over it. So I did a little bit of math. So before I went out there, I, there's a hotel right across the lagoon um, and there's a the big fountains down there. And there's a hotel called the address hotel. And it's like the perfect spot, right. To, to do that. And I did some math on how far away the, those two buildings are from each other. And then, you know, more or less how high up I wanted to be. So I rented an $800 a night hotel room. Um, and, uh, and with my 17 millimeter lens, I was barely able to get the Burj into the frame. Mm-hmm. There's, there was not a lot of excess space there. And I knew I had to, I think I was on the 30th floor, you know, and was, there was a range that would work for me. Um, but I wanted to be up pretty high. Okay. Uh, you know, the more, well, there's a, there's a whole aesthetic around where, you know, what, what the vertical station point should be, mm-hmm. but, um, it worked out pretty good. So I, I, I rented that hotel room, um, specifically so I could be there for an evening and a dawn twilight. Okay. Right. And I shot, uh, a lot of pictures from that balcony. 
it's just that was a, that was fun. Yeah, it just I can imagine it's just unbelievably difficult to shoot level like that. I mean, it's really nicely done. I mean, no. So actually, I'm going to push back on that, Grant, because it's again, those hero shots are kind of not like you have yeah. to do a little homework and figure out where to be for sure, right? So you, you know, you, you're going to figure that out. But once you know where you're going to be, it's really you point the yeah. camera. The shift lenses allow you to you know keep your vertical straight so that your perspective is correct, and that's just mm-hmm. like a fundamental architectural photography thing. Um, but after that, it's honest to God, it's like it's just a picture. Um, mm-hmm. That's a single frame. There's, there's not that many things you can do other than like figuring out where should the sun be, um, right? So I mean, yes and no. It's 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 the glory shot, but it's really not where you put your your lifetime accumulation of of technique. Okay, okay. So um, is there a shot moment experience that you've had that just really sticks with you through your photography journey? Yeah, I mean the most recent photos are always the ones that uh, the ones that come up. Um, there's a photograph on my website. It's probably in the splash page, like one of the first pictures that that cycle through when you when you go to the site. That's that's a very minimalist picture. It's a staircase angling down through the middle of it, mm-hmm. and there's like a table on the left and a bench on the right. It's it's very really kind of plain white photo, and there's a woman mm-hmm. walking down the steps. Yeah, And that one was super fun. We actually, we shot in that house for two or maybe three days uh, with the interior designer. And on the second day, we, we set that shot up. I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, we definitely want to do this. And I made the picture and I went home that night and I looked at the picture and I was like, you know, there is a really amazing photo here, but this isn't it. Like I didn't get mm-hmm. it. It was, it was close, but just the light wasn't right. And I told her the next day, I said, we're going to reshoot that one, which was not a easy sell. Like there was lots of stuff to do and we didn't want to carve out another, you know, hour and a half to mm-hmm. reshoot something because she was fine with the first iteration. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I got my way and we really worked it. And the second time through on the same photo, it was really very much the same composition, right? But I just lit it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I just did a better job across the board. And the second time around, it was pretty magic. I just was like, wow, I think I, I think I just, I, I hardly ever like my pictures. Um, I, I very rarely like any of them. I just sort of see problems mm-hmm. and all the things that I wish had happened and gone differently with them. But, um, and very often I come home from a shoot and my girlfriend's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll go through a phase where it's like, oh, actually these are really good. And then I'll kind of go back on that one. And I swing back and forth all the time. But this one picture, I was like, I think I just made a good shot. Yeah. I think I actually just nailed one and I've consistently liked that ever since. So that one definitely stands out to me and we put a lot of work and thought into it um, to make that, to make that happen. What was, too. what was lacking in the first version of that shot then? What was lacking was all of those little details. The first version had all the same things in it right? The camera, the field of view is almost exactly the same. The stairs were there, the, the table with the, I think there's flowers on the table and some plates and things. All that stuff was in there, but the exact alignment, the exact way that everything lined up with everything else mm-hmm. so that the lines of the photo, you know, this is very clear leading line with a staircase that just jets your eye. You can't help it. Your eye starts at the upper left and you go sliding down, mm-hmm. bam, and you hit that bench with the green uh, blanket on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be my camera bag. I should bring that picture up and look. Uh, or not my camera bag, but my laptop bag. Um, 
leaning up against it, or maybe it's oh, a purse. Okay. But, you know, so exactly how all that stuff relates to each other, how they, their relationship and how your eye moves through the picture mm-hmm. wasn't quite right. So it's, it was just, it was like a guitar that's slightly out of tune, mm-hmm. not like wildly out of tune, but you're just like, oh, that's, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But the next time, the next iteration, the one that you're looking at is the one where we got it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, whoa, that's cool. That's yeah. some cool stuff. Okay. I can relate to you coming back from most jobs and being like, Ugh. And maybe I think you're just right. drained at the end of the day, but you obviously you reflect on the things that could have gone better. But um, I'm sure probably most creative people do that all the time, I think. I think um, so. The last round is called Motor Drive. It's a quick fire round. And uh, okay. it's not that quick. So we can take our time. So um, let me go. Uh, wide angle or telephoto? Telephoto. Uh, coffee or tea? Yes. You're okay. All right. I thought Americans were a lock for coffee. So you've surprised me. Um, okay. Expensive lens cloth or the corner of your shirt? Oh, good grief. Shirt sleeve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some spit probably. Oh, wow. That's just the next level. Um, okay, what was the last great book, movie, series, or album that you experienced? One of those things. Oh, well, the most recent book I read was Clara and, uh, or what is it? Uh, yeah, Clara and the Sun. Um, and I can't pronounce the guy's name, so I won't try, but it's a current novel. Um, okay. It's about AI. It's really interesting. It's a, it's it's all about the uh, it's from the it's narrated by a by a robot, uh, <laughs> and it's and it's an AI robot. So it's like learning as it goes right. about the world and how to interact. And so you see that happen in real time as you read the book. It's it's um, its cool. experience gets more and more sophisticated, and your and the story gets richer and richer. So that's that was a really great one. That's cool. Um, I, I'm sure all narrators will be AI uh, robots in in a few years. Um, <laughs> So, okay, I was thinking, I was looking this up, Bay Area bands and musicians. Are you like an MC Hammer guy, Journey, Steve Miller band? What's the greatest band to come out of the Bay Area? Oh, out of the Bay Area? Gosh, I don't even really know where they're all from. But we have a guy locally uh, who goes by Fanta- the Fantastic Negrito, and he's amazing. He's really cool. Right. Um, it's just a local, he's playing local gigs kind of thing. Yeah, well, he he won a big contest. I think he's known a little bit more, but he's yeah, he's still very much of an Oakland guy. Okay, and so MC Hammer. Can... I mean, how can you not plug MC Hammer? I mean, there's what a what a terrific Oaklander. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I assume I can't see your trousers, but I am assuming that they're MC Hammer trousers. Um... <laughs> <laughs> sure, absolutely. There's somebody in my neighborhood that actually named their Wi-Fi network Stop Hammer Time. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um... Okay, well, what's a weird thing that you keep in your camera bag? A weird thing that I keep in my camera bag. Well, I've got a thing. Uh, what is that called? It's a. Oh, actually, I could give you. I'll give you two things. So one of them is called a platypod, and it's this little plate. It's this little metal plate. It's incredibly well designed. I love it for the design of it as much as anything. But it's and it and you can mount your tripod head on it, and it's got four little legs that you can put at different heights. The whole thing is like is like 10 centimeters by by six centimeters something like that and the legs mm-hmm. are like maybe three centimeters high at their highest so this is just this little tiny platform and you can mount your tripod head on it and put your camera on it and then you can take this whole thing and put it like on a window ledge or a bookshelf mm. right so i can get the camera into places that i could never maneuver my tripod yeah um and uh that thing is actually really really useful and it's mm. so well designed 
But the weirdest thing that, that always surprises people is that I have a, um, a little magnifying makeup mirror. This is the thing that your girlfriend might pull out of her purse to check her makeup. And it's a little mm-hmm. concave make mirror that magnifies you. It's like three inches in diameter. It's round. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then, and somebody might use it to look at their makeup. And I use this because I'm using manual focus lens all the time. All these shift lenses are manual focus. And the way I do that is to use the LCD screen on the back of the camera, which mm-hmm. is the only time I ever turn it on. I hate those things. But I'll turn it on and I'll zoom that in. And then I throw a loop on top of that, right? And I'm looking through my loop and then I'm focusing. But it's so many times, like if I'm using this little platypod thing I'm talking about, I can't get my head behind the camera. There's no room for my head, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll put the, uh, I'll turn on the back of the camera screen and I'll put this little magnifying mirror back there with my hand and I'm mm-hmm. looking at the screen through this mirror, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll focus using that and thing. Focus it that way. Oh, yeah, cool. that always I surprises that. My, my clients when I pull that one out. <laughs> it's just, I love those kind of quirky field craft things though. It's just, it's these are the subtleties that I really love getting out of guests. Um, so, and yeah, you're right, getting the tripod, you know, it, they're so cumbersome to get right. when you're in a tight spot. So that sounds like a brilliant idea, the, the platform thingy. Um, okay, I was going to ask you to name a photographer we should all know about. I think you've named a few, but if there's any other photographer that springs to mind. Oh, gosh, you should all go check out David Burnett. Um, David Burnett is, is a, is a uh, did he win a World Press Photography Award? He should have. Um, this guy has been around. He's photographed every U.S. president since Kennedy. And when you if you look if you flip through a history book if you get a history of like the second half of the 20th century all the way to the current and just flip open any page he was there like it's insane it's insane he was there for the for the Iran hostage crisis he was there when when Allende was assassinated he was there uh, uh, in in uh, Argentina with Perón you know it just goes on and on and on it's crazy. Um, that famous Vietnam War photo of the of the young girl running down the road to get away from the napalm explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what's his name? Nick Ut um, took that picture. David's got his own shots from that, which in my all view right. are better. Wow! Like he was there. Like all of these things, he was there. It's insane. Um, and he's working. It's it's it, he's working with a Holga. He's got entire. I'm talking about paid assignments, right? And he's out there working with a right. Holga. He's working with a speed. He's in uh, mm. Tokyo right now, shooting. I think probably his eighth or tenth Olympics with a speed graphic. So for for people who don't know what that is, this is what the what they were using in the in those old movies with like Gregory Peck and and Catherine Hepburn and the press photographer would show up with this big boxy thing, right? That you hold with with both hands uh, handles on each side and the giant flash bulb the size of an egg and it's got as shooting four by five film he's shooting the track and field with a speed graphic and he's got he's getting pictures that nobody else can get he's he is he is so cool <laughs> okay i'm i'm on his website now it's it's you're right <laughs> so, right uh yeah the, the first w- one that caught my eye was michael collins from apollo 11 crew I'm quite keen on Apollo 11. That is just uh-huh. a beautiful picture of a wonderful guy. And on and on. Okay, everyone's going to check that out. That's uh, I'm going to follow him from You should on. have him on. He's he's a really cool guy. He would be good to talk to. It, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll ask. I'll try. I'll tell him that you sent me his way. Okay, um, good. Yeah, I'm sure he knows who I am too. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, okay, thanks so much, Scott. Last question: When do you feel at peace with the universe? Oh God. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I even think that way. But、um, you know, I think just my favorite times when I just when I when I feel good is is really towards the end, but not quite the end. Like in the last third of putting together one of those really long, intricate photos, when you're making the picture, when I really feel like I'm making it, right? Like taking pictures versus making pictures,、mm-hmm. and when I feel like I'm doing things and they're working, and I've been in that space for like an hour or more, you know,、um, it it starts to the, the brain kind of stirs up a really nice cocktail for you in those moments.、Um, mm-hmm. That's a good place to be. Thanks so much, Scott. I really I, I admire your work. I, I like hearing the way you go about it. It's so interesting to me,、um, as a problem-solving assignment photographer that I am. It's just so interesting to hear your thoughts and how you go about those little subtle intricacies. That's what I really love to hear.、Um, I thought this was a really good interview. I, I thought your questions were great. So thanks for having me on. This was、uh, this、thanks. was really fun for me too. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Scott on Instagram and check out his website to see more of his fantastic work. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes. If you like this episode, then check out my conversation with Paul Sanders from earlier in the season and Guy Edwards from season two. I think you'll like those episodes. That's it for now. Enjoy your photography, and I'll see you out there.